0: Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. I'm Juliana.
1: And I'm Adriana.
0: And we're delighted to be back today for a conversation on the topic of Lent. I don't know about the two of you, but I've been looking forward to this one a lot. I mean, both this episode and this Lent. I love Lent. I have always been inspired by this line in The Rule of St. Benedict where he says that the monks should live in the spirit of Lent all year long, um, mm. <laughs> which I definitely don't do. But that really resonates with my experience because Lent is usually such a time of richness and almost like a, a renewal and a reorientation in my life. So I'm excited to hear about your own experiences in the past with Lent and your desires for this season that we're living now um, today.
1: Yeah, I love what you said about St. Benedict because for me, Lent is always a return to the present moment in mm. all that I'm offering, so much more intentionally, I guess, than the rest of the year. I don't know. So I do strive or desire to live that every day, mm. even beyond Lent. But Lent is this like preeminent opportunity of return for me, return to the present, return to my immediate self before God and what I can offer him and live in in the eschaton in heaven now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word return because in preparing for this Lent, I was reflecting on the line from the prophet Joel when he says, speaking for the Lord, speaking for God, return to me with your whole heart. And he's talking there about returning to the promised land, but ultimately returning to the heart of God and crossing the desert so as to be reincorporated into the divine life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that line for me is perfect because it captures that this return, this season of Lent, this crossing of the desert is a love story. It's an invitation of love. And that's very contrary sort of to the dominant mentality around times of austerity or asceticism. And so it's draws out for me the paradox of this season, that it is a desert, but precisely a wilderness in which God woos our hearts back to himself.
1: Yeah. in on that note of desert, I think it's helpful just as an overview of Lent that liturgically we're remembering Jesus's 40 days in the desert. Yeah. And Jesus, too, is remembering and reliving the Israelites' mm-hmm. desert wanderings through Exodus, They're 400 years in the desert. And so both of those offer such richness, like, of our place in salvation history. We're not only living out Jesus's time in the desert, but we're also remembering God who freed the Israelites from slavery. And in the desert, they confront even more so their utter dependence on God for Mm -hmm. daily sustenance. And it's like a return for us to remember in a way that's living again those realities. Mm
2: -hmm. I love what you said, Adriana. That's absolutely been my own experience of Lent as well, kind of an exodus from my slavery into freedom Mm. in a life lived together with Christ. Um, And there have been... Countless times in my life when the Holy Spirit has used my Lenten practices and my Lenten fast in particular to bring me to a greater freedom, so in that way, my own experiences have verified my own need to walk through the desert yeah it's not just a remembrance of the past or even an accompaniment of Christ in his own passion, of course it is that, that's a very important part of it, but it also is in a very real way a confronting these same weaknesses, these same needs in me, my own need to be freed from the things that weigh me down, my chains and um, that keep me enslaved and, you know, walk
1: joyfully towards the promised land with him in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's through the accompaniment with Jesus that it happens to us, mm-hmm. that we can die to our sins and be raised again. Yeah. And that we become aware that it's not through us, it's, it's through Jesus that it's made possible. Yeah. And there's no other way.
2: And honestly, I find such great comfort in studying the experiences of the people of Israel in the desert in those 40 years because so much of it resonates with my own experience of the weaknesses of my heart when confronted with difficulty and when confronted with... um, any kind of sacrifice, you know, like they complained and they um, told God that it was better that he had never let them embark on this journey and they lost trust and they forgot his promises and they forgot his faithfulness. And like, in some ways it's discouraging because (laughs) you, you can see he's working these great miracles in their history and yet this is how they react. But in some ways it's almost comforting because I see these same these same tendencies in my own heart over and over and over again. And yet I can trust that, you know, he brought them to freedom and he will bring me to freedom too. Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. It reminds
0: me of the psalm that we start every single day with for the divine office is asking God to... Open our hearts to his love so that they're not hard like the Israelites were in the desert. And that's the perfect posture to start every day, let alone Lent, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's within all of us. And I was reflecting too on, I think one of the episodes, one of the preeminent places that we see this in the gospel is in the dichotomy between Peter and Judas, because each of them sinned against the Lord and betrayed him leading up to his passion, during his passion. And each of them were offered the possibility of redemption to recognize Mm -hmm. that they were in the desert, that they were sinful and had betrayed God, and yet that Christ was Mm -hmm. with them in the desert. Judas chose to reject that. He repented of what he had done, but he didn't accept the mercy of God and instead chose the annihilation that his actions deserved. Peter wept out of love for Christ and when questioned, was able to affirm that his love for Christ ultimately was the greatest truth, mm-hmm. that his sin didn't have the final word. And so, yes, yeah, so as I'm thinking about like my times of being in the desert, whether it's Lent or just periods in my life when I was called into the wilderness, am I like Judas looking at myself and my own sin and weakness and my inability as a source of despair in the future? Or am I like Peter? able to recognize in that a cry of the heart that says but you oh lord but you oh lord have chosen me but you oh lord have died for me and so yes i love you Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm weak and incoherent and impetuous and identify a lot with peter's sort of (laughs) particular form of weakness but i love him yeah I think of, I spent a summer in Montana during college right after my junior year, and both of you were accompanying me intensely during this time, so this won't come as a surprise to you, but it was a time of real wilderness. I was alone in Montana. I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I was discerning post-grad choices and spending a lot of time just hiking in the wilderness. And I mean, it wasn't a time of desolation. It was actually a time of immense consolation, but Mm -hmm. I was stripped of those people and those pleasures and those particular patterns of prayer that had been filling my heart. And yet in that time, I experienced so clearly the presence of God in this perpetual adoration chapel, in the beauty of creation, in these insights of what it means to live truly depending on him from one moment to the next Mm -hmm. yeah so that's my hope for this season of lent too to remember that christ is walking with me in this desert and that's the final word yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and i think it's just so rich and important what you said the difference between peter and judas isn't the sin it's judas's refusal to accept the mercy of god and that's true for us too like we're so Similar to Judas, I don't know, we want to judge our own sins and be the arbiter, and we recognize that that sin deserves annihilation, like you said, but God does not judge us from our sins. And so we have nothing else but to turn to him and let him be the image of our mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is just such an important element of Lent that emphasis or recognition of our own fallenness for the sake of Christ's mercy, for the sake of love.
2: Yeah. I think too, in some ways, I really welcome Lent as an opportunity to embrace my weakness Mm. um, because it is precisely there where I encounter the mercy of God and because Lent is a preparation for the gift of the resurrection where I see that, you know, it is through my happy fault and through my weakness that I receive so great a savior and so loving a savior. Mm -hmm. And it feels very natural in the sense of very um, correspondent to our human nature to have this time to confront our weakness, to embrace it, to accept it, and to ask God to make us new again, and yet to rejoice that the resurrection does not depend on how I live this time or how intensely I pray and fast and give alms. And the resurrection will come, and Christ will save me. And mm-hmm. that is precisely because of his mercy. And And I receive this season from the church with great joy not you know the exuberant kind of um, happy feelings, but with a deep seated peaceful joy, uh, the truest kind, because it so corresponds to who I am and what I need. And that gets to—I was going to ask you guys
0: why you think the church gives us this time, and I think you've articulated it beautifully. I was reflecting on—I think it's in the second letter of Saint Peter, but this passage from the Bible where. Peter's writing about the fact that for God, a thousand years are like a day and a day are like a thousand years. And so the Lord is not delaying. He's actually hastening to help us and he's giving us time so that instead of perishing, we can be saved. And that always challenges me because I'm like, Lord, why are you waiting so long to come again? Like, all I see is greater darkness in my own heart and in the world. Like, please come save us um, and yet, and yet I see that in delaying, in giving us time to convert, and the church does this too, imitating Christ, giving us time to convert, there is suddenly a greater space for our freedom to act for our freedom to lead us to conversion. And so it's a sign of mercy that he's waiting. As you said, not so we can accomplish our own salvation, but so that we can learn better to beg for him to come and be better prepared for the resurrection when it does arrive. And that's what I want. Like, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to welcome him. And the way that I live most days, like, yeah, it makes me wonder when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, will he find faith in my heart?
1: Yeah, and I think that's another beautiful aspect of the length of Lent because it always entails failure. I mean, so many people approach <laughs> yes. Lent with these goals yeah. <laughs> yeah. of "I'm going to give all of these things up," and maybe you know you are the person that can actually live out your Lenten sa- sacrifices and obey those rules, but no one can do it with perfect charity. Yeah, and that's like the goal, and you recognize your own fallenness. In that, even if like you did manage to not have a sweet sweets at all for 40 days or whatever you've decided to observe as a Lenten sacrifice, that in recognizing like your own just need for that or your own lack of charity. I remember once when I tried giving up coffee, as I guess an example, and recognizing like my own grumpiness. (laughs) Yeah. I had to change my sacrifice because I felt like I can't even like be a good wife right now because I'm so dependent on this. This is like impacting my discipleship that I need to like cut this off in a easier way at a different time. But instead of turning that into despair and like, wow, I can't even do this for 40 days, just recognizing like, Christ, you're showing me my dependence on you, my vulnerability, my own frailty, that I shouldn't like pick these things that I can Mm -hmm. do all by myself. Mm
2: And I think another – Great help of the church giving us this season is that it teaches us obedience. Yeah. um, Because left to our own devices, at least me, it would be very easy to say, Well, I'm going to change my practices or take on this challenge or uh, work on this aspect of myself tomorrow or next week or next month. And with the church establishing this season for us, it is something outside of us, beyond us, that we're asked to obey to, regardless of what we would have planned on our own. And I think that this has helped me practice obedience to my circumstances, too. Thinking about the last couple of lengths, I mean, two years ago we had COVID covid hit in the middle of lent and at least for me that completely upended like what i had committed to do cuz for example we couldn't even go to mass right we could barely leave the house um and then last lent i actually learned that i was pregnant In the middle of Lent or either that or I started feeling really sick in the middle of Lent. I don't remember, but obviously I couldn't fast anymore and things like that. And having this time to practice obedience to what the church asks of us every single year helped me to react with greater acceptance of those circumstances Mm -hmm. you know of course i'm like very frustrated to be like this is ruining everything i can't i always have that temptation and i do give into that temptation often in my life but i think that i learn acceptance of my circumstances um, and exterior limitations placed on my own will through you know this habitual obedience to the church um, which happens all throughout the year but especially during lent
0: yes Lent is, and this is so important. I mean, she, the church asks us to pray fast and give alms, right? But not by ourselves, but together. And the church as a mm-hmm. whole is using Lent to learn better to beg for Christ to come in glory, to turn away from evil, to turn her gaze to the presence of Christ in the poor. And I'm always provoked by this line by Father Giussani that just is just devastating. He says, if your prayer is not begging for Christ to come to the whole world and to everyone around you, it's not prayer. It's individualistic piety. And that always mm-hmm. just calls Ooh. me out of myself. And. <laughs> Yeah, because our prayer fasting and almsgiving is not to make us a better person. It's not. It's given to us for the sake of the world, that together Mm -hmm. we are learning to beg for Christ to come to us. And so to your point, Adriana, about formalism and Julie about obedience, like one thing that's really helpful for me in my prayer, fasting, and giving alms, is to always test whether it's coming out of a place of joy and freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if it's not, St. Paul tells us it's worthless. Like St. Benedict, again, the rule, I was just looking back at the rule, and he talks about how each person, each monk is meant to offer some kind of fast to God during Lent with the joy of the Holy Spirit and with gladness. I'm like, okay, this is the criterion for my fasting. Is it coming out of the joy of the Holy Spirit and gladness in my own life i've seen that the difference is where my gaze is fixed if i'm fasting out of a desire to turn myself into a better person or to exercise my willpower in saying no to things even out of a good desire to try to be more available to jesus like that is when it becomes a really heavy burden and my joy is lost but instead if my fasting is a way of learning that everything that's given to me is given to me from and for christ and so by saying no to it for a time i am better able to say yes to the great fulfillment of my heart that is when i have joy again and it's funny like i discovered this really when i moved to the uk and the bishops here have reinstated the mandatory friday abstinence from meat throughout the year for catholics and that was never something I did growing up or in college, um, except in Lent. And so it was kind of jarring for me. Like, what does it mean that the penitential character of Friday is something that bites into my flesh in this way? Um, I mean, not that giving up meat is a huge sacrifice, but it is inconvenient when you're not surrounded by Catholics. <laughs> but it was an opportunity to discover, like, these practical steps of learning that my eating and drinking, in this case, is for the glory of God can be totally transformative because they f- they can reorient me towards what is most important in life and make me more open to receive the fulfillment that I desire. Yes, yeah, so that's for me a really helpful criterion for as I'm living Lent. Like, is this coming out of joy and freedom? Or is it coming out of this kind of formal or moralistic or self-focused desire?
2: I've been thinking about this too, Sophia. I think it is important to nonetheless accept our humanity and accept that sometimes sacrifice will be difficult for us. Um, And Mm -hmm. I remember there's a passage in the diary of St. Faustina where Jesus tells her not to be discouraged if her heart initially resists sacrifice or dislikes mm-hmm. sacrifice sometimes but if she accepts the sacrifice with love and with kind of a more deep-seated joy then the internal resistance doesn't lower the value of the sacrifice in his eyes but instead enhances it because you're giving him even more yeah and and i think for me like this possibility of A truer joy in sacrifice becomes really clear when I think about my relationship with my daughter, who's four months old now. And before she was born, one of the things I was most afraid of was not sleeping a lot and having to wake up at night to take care of her in part because I had like in mind these experiences of having babysat other people's children or my friend's children and just finding it very hard to give up those like even my own basic needs uh, for the needs of a child and yet one thing that has most surprised me of these last few months is that taking care of her is the easiest thing for me and Mm -hmm. um, when she wakes up and needs me like there are a lot of things that I really struggle with in my life but taking care of her in those moments is not one of them. Like it really does come because I love her. And my first thought when she wakes up is not annoyance. It's like concern for her and wanting to be there for her and to comfort her. It's such a stark contrast with my reaction to other sacrifices in my life um, where it Mm -hmm. does become, like you were saying, Sophia, like something I feel obligated to do for myself or for self-improvement or for whatever it is. And my relationship with my daughter shows me how much more beautiful and meaningful and joyful it is to sacrifice out of love for another. And what I want now is to be able to have that same posture for all my sacrifices because I've seen the value of sacrifice for another person. And I know that any sacrifice, if lived well, is no less for another person. And now I want to be able to live that way.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. I love what you both said about obedience to the time given, and this kind of like necessary precaution that Jasani invites us into about individualistic piety. Mm -hmm. Because I think there is this temptation, and maybe especially in Lent, or because we're in the season now, it feels especially. But to want our like subjective experience, our feelings to match the season that we're in. And Lent is given to us regardless of of our feelings. Like you mentioned discovering your pregnancy with Elena during Lent. We gave birth to Pia, our second child, right before Lent last year. I remember feeling like it was an Easter time. <laughs> yeah. Like I was just in this abundance of joy. Yeah, I didn't have that experience with Damien. I had a little bit more postpartum anxiety. But with Pia – it wasn't there at all. And that contrast was so apparent to me that it was Mm -hmm. even more joyful. And it was like, how could it be Lent right now when the flowers are blooming, like my daughter has been born. And it was a reminder to me that Lent, exactly what you said, Sophia, Lent isn't about me and my own asceticism and Mm self-improvement. It's this communal offering to the church. And there's are so many people around me whose situations are so resonated in the lamentations that we read and Mm -hmm. the Psalms of desperation and pleading to God that just because that wasn't like immediately matching in liturgy, my daily experience of like Thanksgiving and absolute joy, that somebody else, it was true for them. And I could practice Mm. more what it meant to live in the body of Christ by like offering that experience for another. Mm-hmm. And it was almost richer that that it wasn't about me. Yeah, that's stunning.
0: I love that. And for me, it illuminates a question I've been having about almsgiving. I prefer, I guess, in the liturgy for, I think it's Ash Wednesday, calls it brotherly love instead of almsgiving. And for me, that's more in the spirit of what Lent is because I don't ever feel like I have something to offer other people, to give to others, even though the Lord says, like, give and you'll store up for yourself treasure in heaven. I'm like, these 10 pounds that I'm giving to this guy on the street, like, I don't have anything to give you. There's no way that I can answer your need. And instead, my practices of almsgiving, like when I'm given the grace to do it in purity of heart, have always been an occasion of learning to see the truth of the other person, Learning to respect, which means to look twice at someone, to learn again that that person belongs to God. And this is what brotherly love is. And when you're talking about Pia, like for me, that is a beautiful way to practice almsgiving. I mean, you were giving your body physically to another and learning again with the delight that comes with it. That she's a gift given to you from God. That is the spirit of Lent. That's how I want to love the people around me, to rejoice in my awareness that they're destined for the mystery just as I am. Mm -hmm. This is the mindset that I'm hoping to maintain throughout all of this season in the specific practices that I've chosen when it comes to almsgiving. Because as soon as I relapse into my instinctive, like, I'm giving the other person Mm -hmm. some
1: charity, it
0: it extinguishes my... (laughs) My joy and my zeal. I just feel poor. I mean, which I am, but in a sort of like negative way.
1: Yeah. As a practical question, I'm curious. Like, how do you approach how and what you'll fast with for Lent? Mm. Well, I think that there are a lot of ways to
2: approach fasting well, and I think that for each person, it should be a process of discernment mm-hmm. with God, uh, what He's asking you to do, but. For me, going back to this theme of an exodus from slavery into freedom, I really try to discern where are my chains? What's keeping me enslaved? Um, And not in terms of a sin because, you know, it's incoherent to say I'm fasting from sin. That's what we should always be doing. (laughs) Um, But there are a lot of things that are neutral Mm -hmm. in and of themselves and yet in my own life can be keeping me from a higher truth or a higher love of God and of the people around me. One example, like I often discern, like, particular more aggressive boundaries with my use of my phone or communications media generally, which, in and of themselves, are not bad and are not necessarily sins, mm-hmm. but can keep me from that kind of higher form of living. That's why I say it's a constant process of discernment because whatever is is holding me back in a certain time in my life, it changes from year to year based on my circumstances, my job, my marriage, my children. So, you know, but that's kind of like my general criteria, thinking back to what Lent is for. It's a time to uh, walk in the desert towards freedom, Um, and then trying to think about what that would look like in my life.
0: Yeah, on similar lines, I think my overarching criterion for fasting throughout the year, not just in Lent, is, is this something that helps me live in the memory of the sacrifice that was made for my salvation, the price of my salvation? Is this something that helps me live in the memory of that? And I recall... Christ's words, when Satan tempt him, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And so my fasting is, at least at the origin, it's always aimed at freeing me to remember that I live through faith in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. through his sacrifice for me. And so often that involves choosing things that shake me out of my distraction and my complacency. Um, fasting from food really does this for me because the fasting from food is one of those things that you never get used to. You can't wean yourself off of hunger like you can coffee or other yeah. things you know it's it always remains something sharp, and so that's very helpful for me because i I get used to things quickly. But another criterion I would say is always talking about there's a priest who for a number of years has been walking with me and I always clear with him what I'm going to do because I'm also prone to excess. And that is never helpful, as you were saying, like, it's not helpful for your path of discipleship because it can be a barrier to charity and patience and all, all of these things that I need in order to do what God is calling me to do. I just... Yeah, it turns my gaze on me. So having this external point of reference that I say, Father, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What would you recommend I think about and how would you recommend I maintain purity of heart in this? And then throughout Lent, having the courage to begin again when I stumble and fall and also having the prudence to not step beyond the fasting that I've committed to, because I know that there's another who's walking with me in this with whom I have shared this path that, you know, I'm hoping will bring me closer to God and will foster a greater memory in me of of the suffering that Christ went through. Okay, one more. I lied. And the third is, I love this line from um, St. I think it's Peter Chrysologus. Yeah, not St. John Chrysostom. He says that fasting is the soul of prayer while mercy is the lifeblood of fasting. And so for me, if my fasting is going to be pure, I try to tie it very concretely every time to both prayer and works of charity to other people. Um, And so offering my fasting for people, praying about what I'm fasting from and how it is affecting my life. And even like, whatever, if it's skipping a meal or something, calling someone who I know is in need at that time instead and asking how they're doing. And so trying in this way to guard against this individualistic piety or this project of self-perfection and
1: willpower that I am prone to. Thanks. I think that will add richness to my own discernment, just thinking about what chains do I need to be freed from? And also, how does this help me live in the memory of Christ? Mm -hmm. Similarly, I often think about what good am I forsaking, what earthly good in order to contemplate the higher good god in relationship with him yeah and just like you said julie we're not fasting from sin we're always doing that and lent is an opportunity to fast from earthly goods you know like your phone or something that's like it's such a good that we can communicate with long distance family but we can Mm -hmm. become overly attached to these earthly goods so that they cloud us from seeing the divine and it's really helpful Also for me to remember that it's not fasting for the sake of fasting, but to live in memory with Christ and like to Mm. turn those to works of charity, like you said, Sophia.
2: I like, Sophia, also how you tied your fasting to prayer. I think that in one of his homilies from one of Pope Francis's homilies from last Lent, I don't know if it was Ash Wednesday or maybe during Holy Week, he spoke of prayer as a fire of praise that consumes us. And I think, Oh my gosh. (laughs) um, And I think that, you know, I want all of my almsgiving, my prayer and my fasting to be like fires that consume me so that there's nothing left, but who God wants me to be and just praise for him and preparation for heaven where
1: it will be eternal bliss gazing on the face of God. That's beautiful. Yeah, I had another suggestion that was prompted by your emphasis on discussing your Lenten sacrifices with a spiritual director. And I think as a married person, Mm -hmm. I've found it really helpful in marriage that Brian and I approach Lent together as like a journey discipleship. And we, I think, almost always just share all of our Lenten sacrifices and walk them together. And I find that both as a journey of accompaniment, really tangible for me, and a helpful preventative for my own scrupulosity of like doing too much, Mm -hmm. but also a corrective of my own like individualistic piety that I'm practicing it with Brian. And despite my feelings, it's like a helpful presence of the church, like right in front of me all the time at home. So if that's available, To any of our listeners, I would definitely encourage that. I've also just experienced like such a growth in intimacy together when we're really practicing Lent and like the fruits are so evident of of what fasting can bear and what that journey of discipleship can bear together in your own marriage.
0: Yeah. Oh, marriage is so beautiful. (laughs) It's also perfect that I think that's particularly appropriate that this is a time of intimacy and marriage because... I always joke. um, I mean, not joke. I always laugh that this is wedding season. This is the wedding season of the Lamb. Like we are entering the time of the consummation of his nuptial relationship with us. And so am I preparing for Easter as I'm preparing for a wedding? And I actually have a Spotify playlist like all devoted to music that reminds me that his act of sacrifice on the cross is an espousal to me. It's an espousal to the church. And how does this reach me but through the people around me, through the sacraments, through the real physical embodied love that he gives me, When, especially when I receive the Eucharist. And in light of, Julie, your comments about being set on fire, like, oh, gosh, I can't wait to go to mass tomorrow morning. What a gift. Like, what food for the journey of this desert that we're crossing
1: that he gives us his body. Yeah, that's so powerful as a married woman to... Yeah, I just, I don't even know that I've thought of Lent as, like, the time of engagement in the days, like, leading up to the the wedding feast.
0: Yeah, which I think is why, I mean, to return to where we started, which is why we're invited to live all of life in the spirit of Lent. Because, mm-hmm. really, this life is a desert. I mean, the pilgrim soul, our entire podcast is <laughs> yeah. devoted to this idea that we are pilgrims <laughs> with another homeland. And insofar as we live now, it's a life of faith, that Jesus is coming and we are invited now to the wedding feast of the lamb eternally. And so, yeah,
1: so to long for that, like our whole life is an engagement. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any other like pieces of wisdom that you could offer for our listeners living in Lent right now? Well, I guess one thing I've really been
2: thinking about is um, just accompanying Christ Through his passion, what that really means and what that looks like. And I'm always just like deeply moved and feel a lot of pain over his question to his apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's preparing for his passion. And they fall asleep and he Mm -hmm. says, Could you not even wait with me one hour? Yeah. That line just cuts to my heart because you can hear the pain, you can hear the loneliness. In the voice of Christ. And I think that maybe I talked about this in our last year's Lenten episode, actually, but that shows like how much it informs my own life. Um, I want to stay awake and I want to accompany him. I want to help him carry the cross. I want to wipe his face. I want to be crying with the other women. I want to be embracing the foot of the cross with Mary and Mary Magdalene. I look forward to Lent as a time where my whole life can be oriented or it, it, of course it always should be but where I'm reminded that my life should be oriented towards this accompaniment in everything to pray with him to weigh with him to suffer with him and in so doing be conformed with to him
1: that's so beautiful juliana and on that note i my only suggestion is to take advantage of the liturgical opportunities given to you during this time and i know my parish increases her opportunities for mass, for adoration, for confession, and it helps to approach Lent communally. Mm -hmm. Amen. On that note, Sophia, could you give us today's media recommendation?
0: Yeah, happy to. So our media recommendation, like what we did back in Advent, is a playlist of sacred music. So I've made a Spotify playlist and we'll put the link in the show notes and on the show's Instagram page. And it's pretty diverse. There's a lot of stuff in there, but I'm really looking forward to praying with it. And so if you choose to listen to any of those as well and in trying to learn to remember this sacrifice that was made for our salvation, then we'll be together in this as we journey toward Easter.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for the playlist. I loved the Advent playlist and am deeply enjoying this Lenten playlist as well. So for our monthly challenge, normally we do a weekly challenge, but in the spirit of Lent, a Lenten challenge, we invite you to um, pray with the Stations of the Cross with Father Giussani's reflections, which we'll also provide in the show notes. Mm And I can't encourage this enough. It's so moving. Mm -hmm. There's
0: also a way of the cross that community liberation communities put on that's slightly different, a longer event that usually takes place on Good Friday. And so you should definitely look it up if you know that there's a CL community in your area because it's a very powerful experience.
1: Yes, I love the way of the cross also.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for listening today. As ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe and share with a friend. Um, We're very grateful to be journeying with you towards Easter together. Um, We'll be praying for you
1: steadfastly, and please do pray for us as well. Blessed Lent, everyone.